Oh, hey, there you are. I thought this week I'd be a little selfish and keep you all to myself. I'd like to take a moment and thank all of the fabulous people who came to the podcast to interview. I learned so much and I was so incredibly inspired. There'll be some more interviews in the future, but I thought today we would just chill out, go a little old school and geek out here in this kind of sciencey episode. Today, we're going to talk about how cosmetics are made. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this really geeky episode of Beauty Reform School. Oh, hi. You stumbled across Beauty Reform School, the podcast that explores beauty, style, reinvention, self-care, all from the perspective of the outside looking in. We pick apart the classics so we can confidently break the mold. And I'm your host, Bad Bad, the artist, the educator, the retail grunt, the problem child. The one who's done it the hard way for decades, and now I'm passing the savings on to you. So bring me your tired, your confused, your weirdos, your others yearning to breathe free. If this sounds like you, grab your pen and grab your scratch pad, and let's figure this crap out together. Right here at Beauty Reform School. Before we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you not to get too ensconced in the news outlets right now. Listen to what you need to to keep yourself up to date and do it early in the day if you can. Don't do it before you go to bed. And I know a lot of you have a lot of responsibilities with your families and your pets and your loved ones and your friends, but get the news out of the way if you must at all. You don't have to do it every day, but if you feel like you need to, just set a timer. If you have to set a timer, listen to it, digest it, deal with it, and then put it aside so you can finish the rest of your day. That's very, very, very important because we are already overwhelmed and inundated with everything that's going on. So it is only pure responsibility for you to Measure that out for yourself and not give yourself any more than you need to. Food for thought. Um, I got a really great article from uh, HowStuffWorks.com and Molly Edmonds turned in a lovely article that I found to be incredibly helpful. And yes, I will be putting it up on the blog. So that will be that. Um, So we're just going to dive right into it. While different cosmetic companies may claim to have mixed up a super secret formula for their products that put them head and shoulders above the rest, 
Most makeup products share the same basic ingredients. Foundations feature a moisturizing base made out of water, oil, and wax combined with a filler-like talc that ensures smooth distribution over the face. There are also pigments like iron oxide included so that foundation can be matched to skin tone. Other than that, foundations may boost different ingredients for varying skin needs, such as jojoba oil for dry skin or salicylic acid for acne. Eyeliners work because they feature film formers and thickeners. The film former is the line of makeup you paint around the eye, while the thickener helps the former stay there. Eyeliners also include various pigments made out of iron oxide, depending on the shade of the eyeliner. So the darker the shade, the more iron oxide. Eyeshadows also rely on a variety of pigments, but the main ingredients for this product are base fillers and binders. The base might be made out of talc, mica, or kaolin clay, but it's the binder, the binder y'all, that makes these ingredients stay put on your eyelid. Those are the keepers, okay? Binders might be made out of zinc or magnesium derivatives. Eyeshadows that come in cream form include waxes and oils in the base that dry on the lid for long-lasting color. Mascara gets its dark color from a carbon or iron oxide pigment, and it stays put on lashes thanks to waxes and oils like lanolin, paraffin, or petroleum. People attending weddings or funerals usually request waterproof mascara. The difference between waterproof mascaras and the other types is the amount of water used in creating the product. If you're looking for something that will stand up to tears, check whether water is listed in the ingredients. But don't always reach for your waterproof. Waterproof mascaras can be extremely hard to remove, so repeated use could damage your lashes. Lipstick has a very short ingredient list as well wax, oil, moisturizers, and pigment. The wax helps the lipstick hold its shape, yet also allows for easy application to the lips. Beeswax, carnauba wax from Brazilian palm trees, and candelia wax from the candelia plant are commonly used. Oils like olive oil, castor oil, mineral oil, or lanolin give lipsticks their shine. Less oil means less color, less sheerness. Moisturizers are a fairly new addition to lipstick concoctions. Old moisturizers used to be very cakey, but now ingredients like vitamin E and aloe vera keep the lipstick and the lips in question moist and dewy. Now, I know some of you are thinking, oh, they've been you know, moisturizing lipsticks for a long time, but you have to remember that lipsticks have been around way longer than you and I. So when we say recently, we don't mean like this week or even this year or even this decade. We're talking, you know, further, further, further back than that. So keep that in mind if you're wondering. After decades of trial and error, these cosmetic recipes seem perfect though manufacturers will likely continue to tinker with formulas in the never-ending search for a competitive edge. However, cosmetic ingredients don't have the best safety record. 
Remember the Egyptians and their lead-containing coal mascara? In the 20th century, certain mascaras were found to have had ingredients that could bind to the wearer, including turpentine and hair dye. Yes, you heard it right, hair dye. And every few years, there's a rash of reports that lipstick contains lead. When it comes to day-to-day -day safety, the biggest makeup threat is mascara. Mascara wands can poke the eye and scratch the cornea, which can then allow bacteria to seep into the eye. And if you don't properly remove your mascara before bedtime, then it could flake and get into the eye. For maximum makeup safety, never apply mascara when moving, such as in a car on the way to work or when your hands are full. Always wash makeup off each night. Keep makeup away from heat that could destroy bacteria-killing preservatives and never, ever share makeup. Well, well, well. What they don't know is here at Beauty Reform School, we know that, right? <laughs> we know that. We have learned that. And if you haven't heard all of the episodes of Beauty Reform School, you can go back to episodes like I, I, I to learn a little bit more about that. So, yeah, absolutely remove your eye makeup. Remove all your makeup before you go to bed. We definitely talked about that. Um, the Dirty Lowdown, definitely. That episode covers a lot of information about how bacteria can form. Um, it's not, you know, it sounds gross, but it is a very interesting episode. It's one of the earlier episodes and the, the sound quality is yikes. But honestly... I don't even, I'm not even getting wrapped up in that. You know, when you, as we all know, I when I started this episode, this podcast, you know, I started it raw. I didn't have a lot to go with and I used what I had just to get the information out there. Um, every day I am working on trying to get a better sound for y'all. Um, every day I'm getting equipment one little piece at a time or I'm learning how to better employ the equipment I have and I appreciate your patience for it not always being the best quality of sound but you know what this is a this is real this is the beauty reform school podcast this is the reform school where we use what we got to make the best of it and that's for damn sure what I'm doing but some people claim that these daily safety tips ignore the larger threat we face by putting makeup on our face and bodies and that more must be done to police the cosmetics industry. In 1938, Congress gave the Food and Drug Administration, also known as the FDA, a limited role in regulating cosmetics. The FDA doesn't inspect or test cosmetics before they hit the shelves. Rather, each company is responsible for ensuring their products are safe. Safe for use has generally meant that it won't cause adverse skin reactions to a large group of people. If a product hits the market and causes problems, then the company is expected to recall it and the FDA can pursue legal action to ensure they do. 
the FDA has this limited role because cosmetics have been distinguished from medicine and drugs in so that they do not alter the structure of the skin or the body. Any cosmetic that claims to do so would be subject of investigation or testing by the FDA. So in other words, you basically have a cosmetic company that says, hey, we're just going to put some color on you and we're going to make you look pretty. But they can't promise that your lips will go grow three sizes because then it's going to consider be considered a medicine um, or a drug. So they can't say things like that. They do walk the fringes for sure because they say, oh, this mascara makes your lashes grow. And technically speaking, certain ingredients do nourish the hair follicles and maybe you will get more lash growth. But they have to be very, very particular with the way that they word things. So if something actually tells you that they're going to change your body, do a little research on that product just to make sure. Is this kind of oversight enough? Many critics, such as the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics, say no. That the cosmetic industry shouldn't be allowed to self-regulate and the FDA should set more rigid definitions for what constitutes a safe cosmetic product. In 2007, a report in The Telegraph found that women who wear cosmetics absorb nearly five pounds of chemicals into their body each year. And safety advocates say that we don't know enough yet about certain compounds in makeup to know whether such absorption is dangerous. Well, I guess the same could be said about body spray and aftershave too, but... You know, I guess this is not the platform for that conversation. Of particular concern to cosmetic watchdogs are lead in lipstick, parabens in skincare products, and phthalates in nail polish and fragrances. Several studies have shown that lipsticks contain varying levels of lead, not because lead is added to the lipstick, but because it's a byproduct of the manufacturing process. If you lick your lips several times a day, you don't know my life. I'm sorry, let me move on. If you lick your lips several times a day while wearing lipstick, how much lead would you consume? Doctors are divided on whether consuming even a negligible amount would be safe. Parabens and phthalates have been linked with reproductive problems in lab animals and in some humans. But again, doctors don't know how much about the long-term effects of these compounds. Are there any safer alternatives to makeup? And will the FDA ever take a stronger role in regulation? Now, we touched on this in our Cruel Intentions episode, but I like what they wrote here. In 2005, California passed the Safe Cosmetics Act, which requires cosmetic manufacturers to disclose their products ingredients that are also on a watch list as potentially dangerous to people. 
The European Union and Canada have a stringent rules about ingredients in cosmetics as well, so some advocates have claimed that it's time for the U.S. to have a federal law regulating cosmetic safety. In 2010, representatives introduced a bill that would give the FDA more power over the cosmetic industry. The bill wasn't dealt with before that congressional session closed, so it's currently awaiting reintroduction to the House. The reaction to the bill was quite interesting though. Small manufacturers specializing in handmade organic products claimed that the requirements of the bill would put them out of business despite the fact that they might have the safest products. While advocates of the bill claim that these small businesses would look desirable to consumers when compared to bigger offenders, the business owners claim that the massive amount of paperwork would doom their enterprise. Red tape, y'all. Some people aren't waiting for the FDA or legislators to take a stronger role. Instead, they seek out organic or natural makeup. These products lack the preservatives and fragrances that may contain harmful ingredients in mainstream cosmetics, but it's important to remember that the FDA hasn't defined organic or natural, which means that anybody can slap that label on their product. Dermatologists also warn that certain plant extracts can cause skin irritation or even prove poisonous. It's the wild, wild west out there, y'all, so far. The wild, wild west. It's just whatever, man, you know? They're trying to tighten the noose on that. But, you know, just saying. A popular option for natural makeup devotees is mineral makeup, which is made from naturally occurring minerals such as zinc, lapis, lazuli, and titanium dioxide that are ground into a fine powder. Mineral makeup often comes with a claim that it is better for skin, though it hasn't been definitively proven. This type of makeup is free from fragrances and oils that can irritate the skin and it contains zinc, which is good for your epidermis, but it's likely not the treatment for acne that some companies promise. Mineral makeup also doesn't provide long-lasting coverage. Now, I will tell you for one, I know that there was a certain brand that went around years ago telling you, oh, so safe, you could sleep in it. They snatched that off that label mighty quick because, come on now, stop that. Just stop. You know better. Cut it out. And people legit thought that they could just like wear it all day and then go to bed and then wake up in the morning and be fresh as a daisy. Like it was actually going to stay too, by the way. <laughs> like it was actually going to stay on. The, 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 the gall, the nerve, how dare you to even have that kind of advertising to make people think that they could wear their little mineral makeup all day long and then go lay down and not get a stitch of it on their pillow, number one. And on top of it, wake up looking fresh as a daisy with their little blush perfectly in place and think that they could walk around and still be okay like that wasn't going to do any damage to their skin whatsoever because oh hey it's natural and it's fresh and by the way it's also clearing up my acne never mind the fact that i just slept in it all night and let my oils mix with it Ooh, ooh i need a sip of water excuse me i got all worked up
Oh my goodness, that's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Mm-mm. Exhale. Anyway, the battle for safe and environmentally friendly makeup will likely continue for years to come as consumers protest everything from animal testing to reports of makeup toxicity to even whether makeup packaging can be recycled. But if we're so unsure about whether what we put on our faces is healthy, why do it at all? Because it's pretty. Listen. I have no illusions here. I have no illusions, and I'm sure you don't either. I'm sure you are just plenty intelligent, and you know you know things, I'm sure. But here's the thing. I get the whole wanting to wear something natural and not wanting things to be toxic for the skin, but when you really get down to the brass of the tacks, people wear makeup to look pretty and to feel better it's just one way it's not the only way to feel better it's not the only way to beautify yourself but it's a quick way to go from one thing to the next it's a quick way to transform and we all know this so I don't know why we have to keep playing this game and doing this little dance every time if you don't want to wear makeup don't wear makeup Don't sit around bragging about how little makeup you wear to people who don't feel like hearing it, okay? People that wear makeup wear makeup and they're okay with it. People that don't wear makeup seem to be the ones that are bent out of shape to let us all know how much makeup they don't wear. And to that I say, sit down. Have all the seats over there in your eco-conscious garden. Go sit down. Have some spelt bread and shush. So tired of that. And now comes this old chestnut. Beauty and humans pursuit of it can be a tricky subject to unravel. What makes one person's face more appealing than another person's face? Is it beauty in the eye of the beholder? Is beauty attained through the use of products, true beauty, or a falsification? Researchers believe that we all come programmed with beauty detectors and we're wired to seek out appealing faces no matter the culture in which we live. There have been countless studies in which participants rate the attractiveness of faces, which has led researchers to conclude that beauty could be distilled to a mathematical formula. We appreciate symmetrical faces in which the nose is so many millimeters from the eyes, in which the lips are in the right spot between the nose and the chin. These standards are different for male faces than for female faces. And researchers also believe that we're wired to find youth more attractive than old age, particularly when it comes to choosing a mate. After all, if you select a woman too old to bear your children, your line dies out, evolutionarily speaking. Well, I agree with a lot of that, but have you noticed lately that a lot of the supermodels and you know the people that we see actually are being celebrated 
for uniqueness and strangeness. Someone with a big gap between their teeth or a big crooked nose or all kinds of freckles or vitiligo. There's just so many things now that we celebrate and I'm thrilled for it personally. There's even models now that have Down syndrome and I'm, I'm, I'm here for it and I dig it. I like the fact that there is more representation now in modeling and in beauty. I love the fact that there are alt models and I love the fact that there are people that are just celebrating what they have. It's not, you know, instead of trying to fit in to that symmetry, we're now starting to celebrate the asymmetry of beauty. And I, I love, I love that. I love it so much. I mean, I lean into that myself. I'm, I am absolutely not the beauty standard. And I take what I have and I distort it and I enhance it and I do all kinds of things and I try to show the beauty in that because I will never ever be blonde and blue-eyed and I will never ever have symmetry in my face I just won't and the gap between my teeth gets bigger every single day as I age and you know what oh well my grandma had a big old gap between her teeth and I used to stare at it in fascination when I was a little kid and sometimes I did I was horrified by it and sometimes I dug it but you know as I get older I be, I look more and more like her and the features that I used to fight against are winning on my face and you know what? It's okay, because guess what? Y'all can get some lip gloss, too. And y'all can get some makeup, too, and some, some highlight and some whatever the heck I feel like wearing that day. Makeup, then, researchers believe, is a way to highlight and amplify female features and youth. Men and women have similar faces until puberty, at which point, Hormones like testosterone give men angular faces with prominent brows and noses. In comparison, women have smaller noses, prominent cheekbones, longer lashes, and plumper lips. I don't think that's true. Wait a minute. I'm going to just look. That I do not agree with, okay? Because I know plenty of women that have bigger noses. And I know plenty of men, plenty of men who have thicker, longer eyelashes. That's been a gripe of women for years. Why do men get all the good lashes? So I don't agree with that, but that's just me. Um, eyeshadows, eyeliners, and mascaras all make those small eyes pop. True. Blush emphasizes the cheekbones and lipstick shows off plump lips. Foundations and concealers help us present smooth skin, a sign of youth and health. These may be subliminal ways that women demonstrate their gender and their youth to potential partners. All of the cosmetics may be an evolutionary urge to show off our most feminine traits so that we can attain a universal beauty ideal. Now, I will say that back in the day, it is true 
that uh, women used to definitely try to represent youth in their makeup. So they wanted blushing cheeks. They wanted full lips because those are the things that you have naturally in youth. Babies have full juicy lips and so do so do little children and you know they say they look like cherubs and all that other stuff and they have like the rosy cheeks and all that other stuff so adult women try to recreate that look um which if you think about it is a little gross but at the same time they are trying to not not necessarily look like babies you know yuck but they're trying to look youthful and they're trying to give the impression that they're youthful because they think that their mate wants a youthful woman. They don't want an old lady. They want a youthful woman. And back in the day, that was important because they wanted to get someone young enough to bear them lots of children. I mean, back to that, back to that again, back on that bullshit, right? So that's really where it came from and now it's more habitual than it is utilitarian because you know obviously we don't follow the same rules of marriage and children that we used to um at least not in the same way you know we don't it's not like we are in a rush the minute that we leave the homestead we have to club a woman over the head so she can bear us children so our line can continue it's not that so much anymore i mean for some folks maybe still you know who am i to judge but it's not generally okay okay which leads us to this hot potato when second wave feminism swept across the u.s in the late 1960s and 70s Feminists urged their fellow women to discard anything that men might use to objectify them. By putting on makeup and dressing a certain way, these feminists argued women were only submitting to a patriarchal culture that sought to exploit them for their beauty, not their brain. Stop trying to appeal to men with makeup and fashion was the rallying cry of radical feminists. The feminist arguments didn't go over well as they thought they as they thought they would. <laughs> the feminist arguments didn't go over well as they might have hoped. Some women feared that if they gave up on lipstick that they'd be branded as ugly fringe radicals. Some women believed that a socially appropriate appearance, one that included makeup, was important for the workplace, where women were fighting tooth and nail to get ahead. Though the argument of how feminine a woman in the workplace can be continues to this day, unfortunately. And some women may have acknowledged that while they wore lipstick to attract a man, they also wore it for themselves. It was fun. It was art. And they didn't think they should have to give that up, even if there was a whiff of sexism to the practice. Hi, that'd be me. Today, feminists are still divided on the makeup issue. On one hand, the issue of choice is important to many feminists, which means that a woman should be able to decide to wear makeup for herself without anyone assuming that she's a floozy. Ha! Floozy. <laughs> Oh, sorry. On the other hand, many men and women are concerned about 
the messages implied within cosmetics advertising and television shows. They argue that women are being sold the idea that they are imperfect and need to be fixed, which can only happen if they continue to buy certain products. And will the line continue to move in a culture obsessed with youth and beauty? Will everyone be expected to get plastic surgery once foundation can no longer hide the signs of aging? Psh, no. I'm going to tell you something else about that too. I would like it just once, just once in my fantasy world. I would like it if somebody would actually give us a little bit of credit. Just a little bit. Can we get a little bit of credit, please? I mean, yeah, there are some people that are going to actually look at advertising and believe every little word it says, but I'd like to think, maybe I'm delusional, I'd like to think on a whole, we are intelligent enough to know better when we see these advertisements. And I hope, I truly, truly hope that most of us do not believe that if we don't own a specific product that we are suddenly ugly and old and unimportant the term ugly has always gotten to me because who decides who judges you know i'm sure we've all been guilty in our youth or maybe not even in our youth um maybe recently but we've all been guilty of looking at someone and finding them unattractive that doesn't mean that they're ugly. That just means that they're unattractive to you for your dating and sexual purposes. That doesn't mean that they're ugly. They're just unappealing to you. There are certain foods I don't like. That doesn't make them ugly. It just means I'm not going to eat them. So I think that we really need to adjust that scope a little bit. Just a little bit. Damn. <sighs> Perhaps most worrying to critics of the cosmetic industry is the trend of younger and younger girls using makeup. If makeup really does serve to signal other males to females, then does wearing lip gloss and blush sexualize girls too soon? Yup. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Yes, that, yes, yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> Do they stand at the precipice of a life filled with unhappiness and body angst? I don't know about all that. I mean, I don't think it's helpful for sure if they're wearing it to, if their reasons for wearing it are that, then yeah, that's going to be a problem. If makeup is possibly toxic to adults, then how toxic will it prove to be on young skin? Well, we need the scientists for that one to answer that question. It's impossible to answer these questions or foresee a truce between some feminists and some makeup. For some women, makeup will always be something that should be applied before leaving the house. And for others, it's unnecessary and offensive. But what do men think about makeup? While some radical feminists claim that women only wore it to please men, you might be surprised at men's responses to cosmetics through the centuries, as well as how they might represent the next great makeup market. Well, I gotta tell you, for one, uh, the answer, my personal answer about how do men feel about it, 
my personal answer as a professional woman is I just simply do not care. I do not care. I do not care. And oh yeah, I do not care. Um, I don't care what men think about what women wear. And it also gets me and chafes me when men go on and on about how they prefer uh, a woman that ha has less makeup on because they don't know they wouldn't know less makeup if it bit them in the eyeball. They have no idea what less makeup is. They look at certain people and think, I'm not even going to name names, but they look at certain celebrities and swear up and down that they are quote unquote natural looking and have no idea how much makeup it required to take that photograph. So they can just go ahead and sit over there with, in the eco garden, they can go sit over there and shush. They can go, go have a bite of uh, the spelt bread and quiet down, you know. Because you don't see me over there telling them which Axe body spray to use or to assault my nose with. You don't hear me saying none of that. And also, would it kill you to just go ahead, it, while you're busy griping about how you prefer women with less makeup, perhaps you should just take a moment and maybe run a comb through what's going on up there every now and again. Perhaps get some edges trimmed to create a little symmetry and maintenance you know for uh for yourself and for others perhaps you should do that i'm not gonna smash on men too much because you know they're doing you know what screw it i'm not even gonna say nothing i'm gonna just take a sip i must take a sip of this water <clears throat> And we're just going to move the hell on. When it comes to men, I will say that there are a certain league of men that are a little bit different. And those are the ones that wear makeup themselves. Now, people, like we mentioned before, people who are in television and film and things of that nature have been wearing, men have been wearing makeup for that for quite some time already although you know we dare not speak its name we just don't even mention it we don't talk about it at all and uh, but the Romans and Greeks and the Egyptians were all about wearing some sort of makeup um, interestingly enough <laughs> In 1770, the British Parliament passed a law that made wearing makeup akin to witchcraft. The reasoning behind the law was that men were enchanted by a false face and they were doing a no man once they realized what their wives, quote unquote, really looked like. <laughs> this is crazy, man. They're always on, they always are on some shit, you know? They always got something. They, uh, they always got something. Ancient Roman poet Martial wrote to a woman who wore cosmetics. He said, you are but a composition of lies. No man can say, I love you, for you are not what he loves, and no one loves what you are. Good gravy, Marie. 
I mean, does it count when, you know, women find out men are cheating on them or when things of that, of that nature happen? Does that count? Are you not who you say you are? Do you not deserve love? I mean, honestly, it is super, super late or even starting to fringe on early right now so you all have to bear with me because i'm feeling not that i'm feeling tired but i get real real i get real real uh tangly in the middle of the night the nighttime is my time and i think the the truth starts spilling out at nighttime uh i it's a little harder for me to keep up the cutesy facade at night i feel more myself you know, uh, you do know that like people who did wear makeup, like, well, not people, but men in particular who did wear makeup tended to be rock stars like David Bowie, who were aiming for an androgynous look and prints. Um, but in recent years, more men have probably worn makeup in public, leading to journalists to coin terms like guy liner and manscara. <laughs> you know, we did have an episode in the episode about painted mask. There was, that's a good one if you want to know more about what it's like about guys wearing makeup from a guy who wears makeup. Makeup artist Clint Brock talked to us about that and that was really insightful. And before we go, we have a couple brass tacks to get down to. We are slowly creeping up on our one year anniversary. I can't believe that we did it. We have gotten to our one year anniversary. That's pretty exciting. I'm jazzed about it. Um, but at the same time, especially with all this going on in the world, it's a little weird. And it has been, it's been crazy and strange to come up with new subject titles every week um and i am quite honestly sick of doing it alone i would like your help i would like you to write in to beautyreformschool.com and ask some questions please i'd like you to Message me on Instagram or message us on the Facebook page. Join the Facebook page. Follow on Instagram. And please, favorite Beauty Reform School on your favorite websites so you can read the blog, so you can get the source information, so you can look at the pretty pictures. I would like as much support as you are, as you find it in your heart to give. And also squeeze out just a little bit more after that. Um, <laughs> it is, uh, it's been a joy doing this podcast, but I really, really need to know that you're out there and I really, really would appreciate your support. Um, it's been an interesting year. It's been a bit of a struggle. Podcasting has been incredibly challenging and rewarding and fun and informative but it is a lonely gig especially when you're doing it by yourself without a co-host and 
I would really, really like your help. I'm just asking just real talk. I'm not even trying to pretend that pretend anything. I just need I just need your help. And I would love it if you would give it. Um, I also have asked before, and I'm going to ask again, if someone would be so kind as to send in their questions, or if you want to have your questions answered right here on the podcast, you may qualify to do a call-in here on the podcast, and that would be fantastic. So please write me with those things. And even if it's not you, even if you have a friend who's constantly like, hey, I wish I had somebody I could talk to to ask questions about how to do this or that, it doesn't even matter if we've covered the topic before. You can definitely have them message me and that would be great. Also, I would like to know what subjects that we have not covered that you would like to know some more about. Because I can keep pulling up subjects, but I'd really like to tune into and dial into what you want to know more about the people that are actually taking the time to listen to this podcast. I want to know what you want to listen to. And after we looked at the the numbers, it amazed me that people all over the world have listened to this podcast and that really warms my heart. So yes, I don't care where you live, please, by all means, let me know. Let me know what questions you have. Tell me about what beauty is like where you live. I want to know all about it, please. And I want to thank you so much for your support that you've given us over this almost year worth of podcasting. And I thank you in advance for the support that you're going to give us in the future. And pencils down. Class is dismissed. And I'll see you next week.